Hello and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Rob Lamorgis. Forget the podcast, Chris. I, I, I can't. That's why we're here. It's literally why... <laughs> Okay. This is the fourth episode in our Get Me Another When Harry Met Sally series, and we are very excited to have a special guest with us today, Jennifer Howell of the Every Rom-Com Podcast. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, When Harry Met Sally is such an important movie to me, so it's really exciting to talk about some other movies that came in its wake. Oh, thank you. Well, we, we are, we're very excited to have you. And you are the host of a terrific podcast called Every Rom-Com. And can you tell people out there who might not be familiar with it a little bit about it? Sure. Yes. Every Rom-Com is a, po- Every Rom-Com is a podcast we started about two and a half years ago. And one of the big reasons I started it was that there weren't a lot of women's voices in film podcasting yet. I would often listen to a podcast and there'd be like, four guys talking about a movie or three guys talking about a movie, sometimes three guys and one woman talking about a movie. And I would get a little frustrated because I think sometimes they would miss things that a woman would notice or they wouldn't cover genres that have been traditionally associated with women, particularly, of course, the rom-com genre. And I just felt like, well, maybe I should try this. Maybe I should get into this. I've been a film lover my whole life and studied film as my minor in college and Yeah, so it started. And one of the big important things for me is to just give a voice to women's genres, kind of uplift them, and also kind of look at them from a film studies, film geek perspective as well. Because there are a lot of romantic comedy podcasts out there that are more commentary based or based on people's personal lives and preferences. I think that's awesome as well. But like, I wanted to be a home for film geeks who also loved romantic comedies. And so, yeah. And another thing I wanted to do is like, sometimes people stick really closely to the genre on their rom-com podcasts. I wanted to kind of get Mm -hmm. into the weird edges and the places where rom-com bleeds into other genres. So we've done like a show on Twister, for example, which has this big, yeah, (laughs) yeah, which has this big romantic comedy running through it. We did a show on true romance because it's probably as close as Tarantino is ever going to get to being associated with a romantic comedy. Oh, definitely. Um, We we do all kinds of interesting things. We do a horror rom-com, horror rom-com series every year because that's just super fun. And, and we do also cover like straight up rom-coms. Like we've covered a lot of the ones that you're going to be doing in your series here. And one of the reasons I wanted to come on today to talk about the two we're going to talk about today is somehow I had never seen either of them and I had no plans. Neither had yeah. I. And I had no immediate plans to cover them. So I thought like, why not come on for this and learn something new by doing this podcast too. So excited to be here. Well, we're very excited to have you. I I, 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 I think that's great because I think everything you're doing as far as, uh, you know, exploring these things from a, a cinema perspective and, 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 and sort of, I, I love what you said about, about the edges of the genre. We, we kind of, we kind of live in the margins of genre yeah. <laughs> so, or flop over from one to the next all the time. Um, and uh, I think that's terrific. I got I to gotta listen to that True Romance one uh, very soon. Oh, yeah. And uh, also, I just wanted to uh, invite you because, uh, you know, the first episode has been out already. And um, well, I guess by the time this airs, uh, more will be out as well. But uh, I want to invite you since you are an expert in Ooh. the genre, you've been <laughs> living in it now for a while. Uh, you know, I just kind of wanted to get what your 
you know, kind of your, you know, 20,000 foot view is on kind of the switchover from 80s rom-coms into the 90s? Sure. Well, um, for me, like, I listened to the first episode and like, there's only one thing I would slightly take issue with it in is that like, kind of, I think there were a lot of great romantic comedies in the eighties. I grew up in the eighties. I was a kid in the eighties and I grew up watching fantastic romantic comedies. Um, Actually like, what is it? Like four or five of my top 20 rom-coms of all time come out of the eighties. You've got romancing the stone. You've got dirty dancing, some kind of wonderful uh, moonstruck which came out like just right kind of before when Harry Met Sally and also did very well, both at the box office and critically. It did. And and of course, when Harry Met Sally is also in that top 20. So I find the 80s were a very rich environment for romantic comedies. I mean, 1983, Tootsie was the second highest grossing movie of the year. That is absolutely true. Yeah. And Flashdance was third. I, I do. I do agree with you that the kind of like a lot of these were more high concept and they blended other genres into them. So when Harry Met Sally was kind of unique and being like just about the relationship and and it did set a lot of the tropes and tones that are going ahead into these other movies. I think especially actually the movies today, at least one of them, I think is a particularly good example of Get Me Another when Harry met Sally. Oh, yes. yes. But I think but I think one thing about the romantic comedy genre is people are forever like pronouncing it dead and then being surprised all over again when it comes to life again. And I think it's just that it's a chronically undervalued genre. And I think part of it is that it's associated with women's interests. But a lot of these movies that hit so big in the 80s, like Romance in the Stone, nobody expected that to be successful. The studio was not backing it at all. And then it was a big hit and it was fantastic. And a lot of that was to do with the romance and women just dying to see themselves as the protagonists in these movies. So, yeah, I just I'm a big cheerleader for 80s rom-coms. If somebody hasn't watched rom-coms much or thinks they don't like them, When Harry Met Sally, Moonstruck, Romancing the Stone. Those are the first three I recommend to them every time. Like every time. Romancing the Stone's fantastic. Oh yes. Um, I, I I went. That was a family movie. My <laughs> whole my you know I went with with, with mom and dad and my brothers. Um, and I do think that you're you're absolutely right that the the genre is often perceived as being you know not for men. Yeah. Just is as a perception, but. I, I don't know. I, I find that all of the best ones really seem to cross over. It's, it's you know, I think that everyone likes romance, like, yeah. you know, on some level, uh, you know, we a lot of us couple yeah. up. Uh, so I, I, I don't get the perception. Just like, uh, you know, I know I have plenty of female friends who love action movies. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, there's the perception that they're not supposed to yeah. as much as men. Um, but I, I think... In real life, hopefully, uh, there's a lot more. Um, there's a lot more variety to all of this. Hopefully. Yeah, and I, I always, I always feel a little sorry for people who limit themselves to, oh, well, that that genre is not for me, or that genre is not for you know my gender. I mean, just, I mean, I think you're just you're limiting the kinds of movies that that you're gonna experience and enjoy, and I think that's, uh, I think that's doing yourself a disservice. I, 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 I think that's. Uh, frankly, bananas. Well, one thing I do want to say also about When Harry Met Sally is I think you may have alluded to it yourselves in that episode, but it has such a good uh, gender balance in the movie. Nora Ephron working together with Rob Reiner. For me, neither of them has ever made a movie as good as the one they made with each other. I just feel like the the balancing of their tones and viewpoints was so beautiful. 
And, and also Billy Crystal was probably having a little input and Carrie Fisher was probably having a little input and it just blended together to have this like very balanced view of like sort of a dynamic between a man and a woman and it shows both their viewpoints beautifully. So I think that's really a lot of the best rom-coms have a balance as well. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I, you know, Rob Reiner's got an amazing streak there from, from like 84 to 92. So I, it's, it's tough for me to say, oh, you know, can I, uh, it's tough for me to pick a favorite between like when Harry met Sally and the princess bride and, you know, uh, uh, you know, a few good men. But at the same time, I think you're exactly right that it's that balance. And and one of the movies today, you know, both of the movies today were written by men. That's true. Uh, yeah. One of the movies today, I really felt. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. And we will we'll get into that in a little bit. One one of them again. I I, I do not as a, I, I myself am a writer. I do not subscribe to the idea that men can't write women in the same way. I don't subscribe to the idea that women can't write men. All of that is no. That's but yeah. There are some men who can't write women. Frankly, there's some men who can't write reasonable human beings, <laughs> and, and I'm sure that goes both ways. Um, but like. Yeah, we'll uh, yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite writers of women, just to put in, is John Sayles. I think John Sayles has made some of the oh, most sure. fantastic female characters in cinema history. Not seen enough, but yeah, like absolutely, men can write women, but men have to be thoughtful about, like you know, thinking about is this a realistic behavior for a woman, for example, <laughs> and maybe run it by yes. their female friends once or twice too, and see like does this check out with you? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, today, we are going to be discussing two films that have a couple of interesting connections. They were both released within two weeks of each other in May of 1995. They are both set, at least partially, in France and feature French locations, and each stars one of the two leads from the movie that kicked off our series, When Harry Met Sally. First up today is Meg Ryan in French Kiss. Nous rappelons à nos voyageurs que l'usage des appareils électroniques est interdit durant le décollage de l'appareil. What was that? What did she say? That sounded serious. The pilot says there is a crack in the engine, but not to worry, he take off anyway. Kate's gone to Paris to get back the man of her dreams. I'm going to get him back, and I'm going to make him love me, and we are going to live happily ever after, because I know I will triumph. Now she's going along with her worst nightmare. Oh, my God. My bags are gone. What's happening? What is your problem? They're my bags. But you could... Well, I'm upset because it is my country and this is a scandal. Do, do you have a plan for when you see Charlie? Once he saw me, myself, moi, everything would change. The spell would be broken. I swear I just saw Kate. How can I help you win back this ridiculous man if you act like a clown? <laughs> I know what your problem is. You have no staying power. What do you mean? You can't stick it up. What are you talking about? It's obvious. It is? You are afraid of commitment. Commitment! Oh, okay, sorry, I thought you meant, uh... What? What did you think, uh, I, what did you think I was talking about? Nothing. It's okay. Oh, this problem. It's not a problem! Ah! Who is that? That's <laughs> uh, my brother. Why are you chasing after him, after what he's done to you? Because I love him. And I'm afraid that if he doesn't come back, it'll hurt so much that I'll just shrivel up and I'll never be able to love anyone ever again. You said that now, but... After a time, you would forget, and then you can begin again. 
From director Lawrence Kasdan comes an enchanting new romantic comedy. Meg Ryan. My ass is twitching. Your people make my ass twitch. Kevin Klein. What about you, the old bull back in business? Olé. French Kiss. Oh, la 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 la. Maintenant, je comprends tout. What, what did he just say? I don't know. Before we really get into French Kiss, Jennifer, I want to say I really appreciate you coming on this episode in particular, because it turns out that both of our movies this week are kind of odd birds. Um, And I had not seen either one of them before. I think Rob might have seen one or maybe the other. I can't remember. I saw Forget Paris because, uh, you know, Billy Crystal and I was an NBA fan. Well, I (laughs) guess I still am. So for whatever reason, I saw that. But I had not seen French Kiss. So I had not seen either movie either. But actually, French Kiss is very popular on what I would call sort of rom-com Twitter. A lot of women really love this movie. And it's apparently not available on streaming. It's not. And they're always lamenting that. So, yeah. It's crazy. Like, it's not even available. It's not just that it's not available on a subscription service like Netflix or Hulu. It's not available to buy or rent on iTunes and Amazon, which is very unusual. I actually went ahead and and bought the the Blu-ray, which I'm glad I did for all the French countryside, (laughs) uh, you know, scenery, because that is fantastic. And I used my library. So, yeah. (laughs) Nice. Very good. Very good. Uh, I know Rob also uses our public library um, here in Los Angeles. Absolutely. French Kiss was written by Adam Brooks and directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who, of course, wrote Empire Strikes Back, Mm -hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark, and wrote and directed such films as The Big Chill, Silverado, and the underrated Wyatt Earp. The film stars Meg Ryan, Kevin Klein, who is a Kasdan regular, Timothy Hutton, and Jean Reno. And Rob, I believe this is the first film on the other side of the long hair, short hair Meg Ryan <laughs> divide. Uh, I don't it know, is. Jennifer, I don't know if this is, is there was there one before that, or is this the beginning of the short haired Meg Ryan era? Um which is such a great look for her, to be perfectly honest. No, I think she might have short hair and IQ with um, Tim Robbins. Oh, there you go. I don't know. There for you go. 100%, okay. but maybe. Yeah. Meg Ryan plays Kate, an American living in Canada with her fiance, Charlie, who I have to say, right from the off, is obviously a heel. <laughs> like, there's just something in this dude's demeanor that ain't good. Charlie has a conference to attend in Paris, and he invites Kate to go, which is weird because she has her pending Canadian citizenship, and that could be put in jeopardy by leaving the country. I don't know if that was his plan all along. I'm not sure. Um, I was slightly concerned early in the film that the whole movie was going to be Kate's distaste for the French, <laughs> uh, but I was kind of glad that that receded into the background fairly quickly. Yeah. Can I can I put in something? I found out that Gerard Depardieu, Gerard Depardieu was originally going to be cast um, in the role before Kevin yes. Klein took it. May I may I ask though, like, um, what do you think the movie might have been like if they'd gotten another Frenchman? Because for me, like. That second watch, I watched it twice. The second watch, I got kind of got over Kevin Klein's French accent and fakeness. But the first watch, it was super distracting for me. And I just kept thinking of a fish called Wanda all the time, which really took me out of the romance, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Like, what if, like, Jean Reno even? What if Jean Reno had been the French guy? She'd fall in love with you I don't know. I because I, I I did weigh the the accent uh, the accent issue because I I did notice his accent I did feel like it was Kevin Klein doing an accent yeah. as opposed to an authentic Frenchman <laughs> um, but at the same time I I 
I kind of wasn't bothered by it. And it maybe because I was thinking of A Fish Called Wanda, a movie that I could watch every day if I had, you know, like that would be fine. I love that movie so much. So it's kind of like, eh, I'll just go with it. You know, it was a. Uh... Yeah. And I, you know, his accent for me, because it, I have no idea, you know, uh, how off it is from a true French accent, but at least it was, it was underplayed, I thought. Mm. And, and for me, uh, getting used to his accent was kind of like my overall with this film, which is that, and I'm, I'm going to go here. Go. Like a, like a great bottle of wine. When I, you first open it, it can be a little sharp and, and maybe not yet ready to drink. But the longer you let it breathe, it really opens up. And, and by the end, I'm just on board with everything in this movie. It, it's funny you should say that because I had, I had a very similar experience. I, I, I was like, I don't know if I like this movie. I was kind of like, I, I'm not sure. And by the end, and I actually, I didn't rewatch the whole movie today, but I rewatched like the second half of it today. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm totally on board by the end of this movie. Like it, it won me over, but with time. And I, I didn't think of the wine analogy, but that's fantastic. Yeah, like I was never fully on board with this movie. Um, I think I gave it like a three out of five on Letterboxd. And I think it's just because I prefer my rom-coms to be heavier on the romance. And there was romance, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But once you put somebody with a fake accent in the role, and I know that it's a fake accent, and I see them as the actor rather than the character, that really makes it harder for me to buy into that aspect of the movie. So I, I love uh, Kevin Klein and Dave. For example, that's a great rom-com that sure. he did where he's just be naturalistic. Yeah. So I guess that's like what was one of the film's obstacles for me. That and the fact that they spend the whole first part of the movie on this like heist thing that doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense and wasn't that exciting to me. Once they get into like the the train ride, once they get into the train ride and beyond, then I'm kind of on board. Oh, pun, pun intended. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, I 100% agree. The train ride was where the movie came to life for me, too. And me, me as well, but the train ride is also, and this is, you know, look, just what I'm bringing to it. The train ride is where I thought, um, not only did the movie open up, but in retrospect, the earlier scenes just felt like, oh, this movie feels like it's taking from charade oh. yeah. uh, with Audrey Hepburn and, you know, Cary Grant. And it, it felt like, oh, it's in that tradition, which this is kind of mid-cycle. We, we often find that mid-cycle people start mixing up the elements more because they don't want to just, you know, do what the films that came before did. And I felt I felt that in both of the movies today in different ways. But this one, it felt like adding that and also the crime element um, that is so mid 90s. <laughs> just like. Well, you're talking about being of the moment, too. And I just wanted to put in that 1995 was like a fantastic year for romance movies in general. Like if you're like a big rom-com fan, this was the Austin Renaissance 1995. So you had Clueless, you had Pride and Prejudice on the BBC, you had Sense and Sensibility, you had What Remains the Best Version of Persuasion. And then you also have You're Gonna Cover While You Were Sleeping. And you had, um, let's, oh, sorry, I lost the place where I wrote down all these titles. But you had, um, yeah, you had Before Sun sunrise as well so bringing in that gen x element that new romance so this was a romance renaissance and i feel like both of the films today felt oddly sort of dated even though they were trying to mix it up and add new elements they were kind of missing the new tide if if you will in a way yeah, yeah. um i want to go back to the early part of the of the movie and talk a little bit about um you know kate has this fear of flying 
as well as a number of other peculiarities. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I have a bucket of peculiarities. <laughs> so like, but she's working on herself. And I love the opening scene where we think she's on a plane and she's actually in a simulation uh, that is a part of an elaborate technique to overcome her fear. I'm glad he, she got her money back because it didn't work, but I'm glad she got her money back because that couldn't have been cheap. Like they had a whole like plane simulator. And I got to say, from that right from that scene, uh, French Kiss shows us a side of Meg Ryan that I don't, don't think we'd seen before in that she's really adept at physical comedy. And there's a lot of Meg Ryan physical comedy in this movie, and I think she's terrific. Hmm. See, I found her mostly annoying for most of the first part of the movie. <laughs> because for me, I like Sally's amount of neurosis and quirks in When Harry Met Sally worked for me. But for me, when you push it too far beyond it and her face is always pursed the whole time, I'm just like, no, I don't want to be around you anymore. <laughs> I just like it better once the second half of the movie. So different strokes for different folks here. But I agree that she's she's a great performer, though. I agree with that. Yeah. Charlie goes off to Paris or her fiance goes off to Paris. And it's not long before Kate gets a phone call from him telling her that he's fallen in love with a French goddess. So Kate goes off to Paris with the aim of winning Charlie back. And this is actually one of the issues I had with the movie. Which, again, I, I liked it, and it won me over over time. But in the first half in particular, part of it comes from the fact that Kate's goal is one we know she's not going to achieve. And moreover, that she shouldn't achieve. Yeah. We know she's not getting back with Charles, and that, and that, that or Charlie, and, and that she shouldn't. Like, she's got a line later in the movie where she says, I'm going to get him back, and I'm going to make him love me. And it's not only a fundamentally flawed sentiment – on top of it, this guy's not even worth it. Yeah, he's a really he's one of the all time worst. Um, he's not really a Baxter because, you know, that like that term that comes from that uh, rom com that they made the satire rom com. They made the Baxter, the guy that the woman leaves for the better guy. Oh, but, yeah. but he's not really a Baxter because he left her. But he's like one of those guys that, you know, the woman shouldn't get with. He's like one of the worst ones I've ever seen. Yeah, he's totally unappealing. Oh, he's terrible. I mean, and he go, they, I mean, they go so far as to make the picture in the in the locket of him that she, she carries a locket with his picture in it and and the picture in the locket's terrible <laughs> like in the end they put him they put him in clothes that might as well he might as well be wearing a sign that says i'm a d-bag my my favorite is when you get to uh when she finally gets to see him uh in in france and his hair has completely changed hmm. and it, it's made him even more villain-esque <laughs> absolutely uh, <laughs> oh god uh, and I, honestly i think this is the first film we've discussed in this series where the protagonist is actively pursuing the wrong person. At, at least, you know, as I mentioned last week, I think that Hugh Grant should have ended up with Kristen Scott Thomas in Four Weddings and a Funeral, but that's clearly not what the filmmakers thought. That's my own interpretation. Yeah. Usually in these films, you have a couple who is pre-designated to eventually get together, and other relationships can be obstacles to this, like Walter with Annie in Sleepless in Seattle. She's intended to get together with Sam, and the pursuit of that goal is the engine of the movie. Here, the filmmakers know she's not going to beat you with Charlie, but her pursuit of him is still the driving force of the film. And it's a very curious thing. This is a subgenre of rom-coms, like uh, probably none of the ones I would consider the better ones, but this is a subgenre that exists, a woman pursuing the wrong guy. So, Or like guy pursuing the wrong girl. I mean, you see that in 80s movies a lot. You see that in The Sure Thing. You see that in Some Kind of Wonderful. So, yeah. Kevin Klein is introduced uh, on, on the plane uh, when, when she decides to, to pursue 
um, uh, her, her, her wayward fiancé to France. On the plane, Kate is seated next to the French Luke, played by the, as we established, non-French Kevin Klein. Um, and I got to say, see, I, I didn't, the accent didn't bother me, but I did think Kevin Klein does the disreputable, charming thing very well. And I, I love the bit where he distracts her from the moment the plane's taking off by actually provoking an argument with her. I thought that was fantastic. So I, I, I understand it in movie logic, but like, I don't buy a character as like prissy and like uh, neurotic as uh, Kate in this movie, like actually listening to him tell about the time he lost his virginity to a prostitute when he was 12 years old. <laughs> like, I think, I think she would have had to be slightly less prissy for me to buy that. Like, I, I don't know if prissy is the right word, but she just seems kind of uptight, kind of like practical, kind of like domestic compared to like somebody. Maybe she even, definitely is. Yeah. This is a similarity to when Harry met Sally though, because Harry starts in right away talking about Sally's sex life, of course, in the diner and right. Sheldon and that whole business so yeah no i i uh pretty soon we realize that luke is a petty thief and is smuggling a grapevine and a stolen diamond necklace into france and he takes a moment to slip that contraband into kate's bag because he knows he'll be pulled out of line for a search and she won't which is absolutely true uh and he encounters a friend who's a policeman played by the genuine frenchman john renault uh and is unable to immediately retrieve what he has hidden so it, it at that point, Kate is chasing Charlie and Luke is chasing Kate or specifically her bag. And of course, this becomes complicated by the fact that the bag is stolen by a thief who naturally Luke knows. Um, one of the things that I, I thought was really fascinating in this early part of the movie is how Kate always seems to be missing Paris. Like she's mm. she's never looking the right way to see the Eiffel Tower. She's, uh, you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a cool shot where she's walking through the street at night and the Eiffel Tower is lit up behind her, and the lights turn off just as she turns her head and look in, looks in that direction. And I thought it was a great visual representation of the fact that she's looking as she's looking for Charlie. She's missing what's right there. Yeah, that was. I thought that was great too. Although, like, it was really weird to me that they set up this woman as like hating France and like, but that the Eiffel Tower is the one thing she wants to see. It reminded me of like my dad. Like, my dad is like literally the only person I've ever met who has some weird prejudice against French men, and so it was an odd fit for me because like most women. I, I don't, maybe that's too much of a generalization, but a lot of women want to go to Paris. It's like kind of a cliche, like I what a dream that Paris. is. Yeah, it's kind of a cliche that what a dream it is for women to go to Paris. And if you're a history teacher, I, Eiffel Tower is a weird fit for that. Why doesn't she want to go to Versailles? But whatever. It was, you're right. It was an absolutely beautiful visual representation of like her character and what she's missing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I did, I will, the, the first part of this movie, I did say, like, I liked some of it, but I, I thought it was a little listless. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't sure who I was really invested in and in the first part of the movie um and while i was sort of i'm like i'm along for the ride but i i wasn't sure how much it was really working and then you get to that point where they leave paris and uh they head to the south of france where charlie will be meeting juliet's parents and there's that moment where she finally sees the Eiffel Tower as she's taking the train out of the city. And I actually felt like that was a pivotal moment where the movie kind of started to come alive for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And then this is soon followed by this scene where he's trying to get the the plant out of the bag and the necklace out of the bag. And like she kind of yeah, reaches it's... over and there's that kiss where she kisses him in her sleep thinking that she's uh, he's her fiance. And that was hot, okay? And I will say rom-coms today, rom-coms today are really moving away from having a lot of kissing and 
making out and sex, quite frankly. And I, I think it's really sad. Like you see a lot today where you don't even see the main couple kiss at the end of the movie. And it's like, what are we self-imposing the Hayes code again? So I was, I was glad, no. I was glad to see that. I don't want yeah, that. I don't want it I either. I want to see, I want to see beautiful people making out for goodness sake. Yeah. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. I don't, I, you know, I see people online, you know, in the in the Twitter world, which I fully understand is not the real world, talking about you know the the sort of they, they don't want to see sexuality depicted on screen, and I'm just like, man, yeah. I don't know what you're talking. I'm like, about. I'm like, go. I, don't, I just, don't. I'm like, go watch the Hallmark Channel, then go watch ABC Family. That's for you, and we'll watch movies like adults. And like, like, like let's make a deal here. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's not even that explicit in this no, movie. No, at it's all. not. No. No, no, it's not nine and a half weeks in it, you know, it's no, but you want the romance. It's, it's there in the title, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's there in the title. Honestly, for me, I think in looking at this, the reason that the train start is a real, you know, uh, turning point in the movie is that prior to this, uh, both characters just kind of dislike Mm -hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she really dislikes him, but he's not thrilled about her. He's just, you know, trying to get his, uh, his illicit goods in the country safely. Contraband. Contraband. Yes. Uh, and it's hard to know why this is, but, um, in the cutting edge, when you start off and they don't, they're, you know, sniping at each other and dislike each other, somehow it is, it's charming in here. It, it just feels more like dislike, but once you are traveling to his home and you start learning more about him or in, and more specifically that she does, and they start opening up to each other. Uh, you start to go, you know, the characters are on a different journey and it becomes not just, uh, the sniping at each Well, I'll other. tell you another reason this doesn't work as well as the cutting edge is in the cutting edge, they at least have a shared goal that they're working towards. Whereas in French Kiss, the right. whole beginning of the movie, the characters are separated from each other. They're wandering here. They're wandering there. By the way, I did not gain a lot of respect for Kate when she like just kind of wandered around Paris listlessly and only finally got to the embassy much later. Like what? She she isn't so type A that she doesn't have a list of phone numbers that she's calling to get things settled. I don't know. Anyway, it's a, it's nitpicking, but still. <laughs> no, I think it's a legitimate because it, it, it kind of goes against the, the, the character that he was stabbed. There was one moment where like he offers to give her money and 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 she doesn't take it and she drops it <laughs> and my wife literally was like, is no one going to pick up the money? Like <laughs> She goes back for it yeah. eventually but it, you know, it's like they really made, you know, uh, they really made it think. But the, again, I'm glad we're all on the same page because that way I'm not, I don't think that I'm just, you know, kind of a crazy person who has these opinions. But I thought, I, yeah, again, the movie comes alive in the, you know, from the train sequence. And I love the whole sequence where they're at his his family home. Uh, that I think is is terrific. You know, we learn... I don't want to get to that yet because I do have to talk about mucus because that's my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> oh. uh, there's this terrific scene. There's this terrific scene where Kate falls in love with French cheeses, 452 official varieties of cheese, despite being lactose intolerant. And the funniest line is after she's been eating it, Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan saying, it's here. The mucus is here. I'm like, that's the funniest line in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work for me. I was like, I don't want to think. I don't want to think about that person. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, they arrive at Luke's home, and we get a little of his backstory. We learn that his family owned a vineyard, and Luke lost his half gambling with his brother, and he hopes to use the vine as well as the money from selling the necklace to start his own vineyard. 
And I, I really that 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 scene on the hillside with the two of them, I I I basically watched rewatched the movie from that point forward today, and I was just like, oh, that's terrific! Like it's just I, I really like that. And they had set something up with her in this st- this stone cottage that was like her place that she went to mentally. Mm. And then when you actually you see basically a stone cottage meeting that description right behind her. I thought it was just, it worked really well. Who doesn't want to see these, um, who doesn't want to see these beautiful sites, these beautiful European sites. And like so many rom-coms have like taken advantage of that, especially a lot of ones set in Italy. This is like a whole subgenre of rom-coms, just European dream vacation rom-coms. <laughs> yeah. And, and another reason it works for me and why it, it, it's, it does start to open it up is that, you know, at the beginning of this movie, Kate is set up as having this plan to not only marry Charlie, but to buy their little home Mm. and set up their nest. And all she wants is a homestead, right? Yeah. And for her and, uh, you know, to see Luke, who by all accounts up to now has been the complete opposite of her and someone who she would detest. And to see essentially he has the exact same dream as her when you come down to the to the core of it, right? He wants a place of his own, uh, unassuming little homestead, and you know life has conspired to keep it from him as it as it uh, has with her. I think it hit, in her words to put down roots, literally mm, to put mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and you know it's it's not super explicitly talked about between the two characters, but it no. just it's a nice turn of of character for them both, where uh, you know again. In a lot of these, you the two people that are set up as being complete opposites, over time we realize maybe they're they're not quite as different as they seemed uh, when it comes down to important core values. Mm. Yeah, that's a great observation, yeah. Luke and Kate put a plan into action for her to win back Charlie. And at the same time, it's decided that she is going to sell the necklace at Cartier's because she is inherently less suspicious which she is. Um, I don't know. Does Cartier's just buy, you know, diamond necklaces off the street from people <laughs> who walk in without a receipt or anything like that? Because I feel like that's that's opening them up to uh, hot merchandise, as, as the kids say today. Oh, and before we even get there, does anyone have any idea where is the point we're supposed to think that she found this necklace in the first place and was then hiding the fact that she had it from him from a large chunk of the movie? Because I yeah. could not figure that out on my totally. second Totally. <laughs> No, I no couldn't idea. figure out. I love the reveal of it. Like yeah. it's a very like there's it's a it's a great moment in the movie, but I'm like, I have no idea when she yeah, found this. Yeah. Like it's totally. <laughs> and it would really change my opinion of her character, like knowing which points to <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. How long how long was she putting up yeah. the act? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, Luke and Kate carry out their plan, which involves Kate appearing to not want Charlie back and being with Luke. And at the same time, Luke is going to seduce Juliet. And it's, it's really interesting. We get, we get a moment where she, she comes out where Meg Ryan comes out in, she's dressed in this beautiful dress that reminded me of that moment from pretty woman with, uh, with the red dress and, and Julia Roberts. I'm like, Oh, because it's interesting, this movie has her mostly in sort of big baggy clothes for most of the movie. Uh, and then, you know, you have that moment with the dress and, and you know, Luke just like he's 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 head over heels and, you know, reasonably so. For me, the scene that worked even more effectively than that, though, is the scene before that where um, they first where she first goes to approach um, 
what's his name, Charlie and Juliet on the beach. And like, she's not wearing anything special, but her, she's doing the whole attitude that Luke suggested of being like indifferent. And it just really changes her face. You know, Meg Ryan's like face looks so calm and peaceful and pretty. And she's so confident in that scene. And then Luke's dressed up in a nice suit too, that because he stole his brother's credit card to get a bunch of stuff. Right. And he looks (laughs) great here for the first time. I'm seeing him as a viable love interest because before he was kind of schlubby or whatever, but now he's coming in helping her the fake dating trope. Let me tell you, really works in rom-coms whenever you can do the fake dating trope and it makes sense in a movie do it because like yeah more i think it works yeah. to great effect here yeah very much you're absolutely right i i kind of glossed over that scene and that was that was my bad on that because that is that is a pivotal and really good scene with the two of them we get to the point that so that evening there's the they're they're at the the bar club restaurant and they're and they're and charlie is dancing with kate and he has got a line i wrote it down so I wouldn't have to remember. And I think it's one of those lines that is that sounds great at first, but is actually horrible when you think about it. He says, you seem so different, but the same. It's like somebody turned a light on inside of you. Oh, I love that line. Why wasn't it me? Aww. But here's what he's saying. You're you. He's saying that if you were this cool girl, I wouldn't have had to leave you for the hot French girl. Get real. Like it's it's. It, well, I don't. I yeah. Okay. I don't love that line. Is like I would want to get back with that asshole. No, but I love that. But I love that line in the way that it expresses. Like it shows her herself. You know, it shows. It like ends up letting her confront herself. Yes, she has changed. Yeah. Oh, if you had only been a little cooler, I wouldn't have left you for the hot French girl. Forget it. And, and just in case, and just in case we didn't already hate Charlie, it also <laughs> helps with that. Uh, even more, where you're like, oh, you're, you, you can't even be happy for her. You're just yeah. sad that you didn't make her cooler. Like, yeah. you know, come on. Yeah, I, I, guess, yeah I, I guess I wasn't thinking of it on that level. I was just thinking of it as like, this is where the light bulb goes off in her head, to use another light analogy. The light bulb goes off in her head that, like, yeah. Why didn't you ever like make me feel that way? Is there somebody else I'd rather be dancing with, you know, in this beautiful dress to this beautiful French version of dream a little dream? Like you see it on her oh, face. Yeah. And and like, so that's what the line functions as for me. It's like her starting to have that moment of like, hey. And yeah, I just, I almost wish they'd also had like Juliet and um, Luke also be at this dinner and have a little more of that fake dating interaction in the scene too. Like maybe the, It dancing. was so good and you don't get enough of yeah, it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but it all kind of comes to a head that night where, you know, uh, both, you know, Kate goes up to, to uh, Charlie's room and Juliet goes up to, uh, to Luke's room and uh, she comes to realize, and I think you're right, that's the moment where she starts to realize that she shouldn't be with this guy, that this guy sucks. Honestly, she comes to realize what we all knew the whole movie is this dude's terrible kick him to the curb. And I, I think Luke's seduction ends because he accidentally calls her Kate, which is hysterical. <laughs> um, and then she, she, oh, they do a thing at the end where Kate meets and makes a deal with Jean Renault's detective character to return the stolen necklace and get Luke off the hook. But she uses her own money to make it appear that she sold the necklace for, you know, for the cash so he could buy the, the vineyard he wants. It's an interesting thing because she's not doing it on the promise of 
being part of his life. She's just doing it seemingly altruistically. And this is a situation I just can't buy. Like, it's, it is a situation where I kind of leave the movie a little bit. And I just feel like, I'm sorry, but I don't think a t- teacher is going to give away $45,000 to like a random French thief she just met. It doesn't give me a higher opinion of her. I wish they'd thought of a different way to end this movie. I wish they'd thought of a way to end the movie where Luke in some way gives up this necklace because he wants to be with Kate and prove that he can like be a, you know, an upstanding person or whatever, something, I don't know. Just anything. I agree. I, I, I I think it was like, it's, it's an interesting thing that happens, but it does push the grounds of credibility because if he hadn't come back on that plane, you know, it would have just been like, Oh, I blew $45,000 and now I'm back in Toronto. Honestly, wait a minute. How did she get on the plane? (laughs) Because she doesn't, did she get a passport? She's still a stateless person. Like, I, what happens if Luke doesn't show up? Is she just, she is she in, in JFK airport like Tom Hanks in that movie, <laughs> The Terminal, forever? Oh, and then she could have gotten together with Tom Hanks in The Terminal, and that would have been the next movie. There you go. Oh my God. Uh, I want to live in that world. <laughs> I want that movie. Oh my God. Um, The the last shot we have of both of them at the vineyard um, where we see that it's now coming back to life. And, uh, you know, there's a great cover of Bobby Darren's Beyond the Sea sung by Kevin Kline in character as Luke that I I actually thought was great. And again, a good amount of kissing, a good amount of kissing in this end section. A good amount of kissing. Jennifer, I'm 100% with you. I, 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 I'm I, okay with seeing physical contact. It's not, yeah. you know, that's, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is with the kids today and they don't want to see the it's, physical it's contact. It's like they're Fred Savage in The Princess Bride. I mean, come on here. What's going on? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and, uh, you know, a, a great, a great movie to bring up in advance of our next movie. Uh, oh, yes. For a few different reasons. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I really I warmed to this movie over time. It's not it's not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it started off kind of not really doing it for me, and by the end, I kind of I kind of just really it was like, oh, I'm kind of just dancing with it. It's all right, you know. And uh, you know, Kevin Klein, despite the fact that uh, his accent was maybe <laughs> not the most convincing, I don't. I mean, it's more convincing than his New York accent in the January Man. So I guess there's that. It's more that like I associate it with the fish called Wanda, and then I see him in, like huffing like Jamie Lee Curtis's boot, and then it's all over. So. <laughs> 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 um. One other note, uh, French Kiss was originally entitled Paris Match, at least until the director, producer, co-star, and co-writer of our second film today lodged a complaint with the MPAA that it was too similar to that of our second film today, Forget Paris. I don't know, maybe I got married too fast. No, there's no such thing as too fast or too slow. It's whenever it's right. Well, you did move a little fast. I wasn't looking for anybody, but he just came along. Mickey. No basket! No basket! After the buzzer! Are you crazy? No, you didn't get it off, Charles. Yes, the You didn't get it off your wall! It was so different than the ones I knew. Oh, he's adorable. Every time I see him, I want to pick him up and give him a hug. You're out of here, Kareem! What are you doing? This is my farewell game! I will let me be the first to say farewell! I love being a referee. Wake up, it's up, dude! God, I hate your guts! I hope you die! The other ones were very polished, stylish. Yes! 
Then this little referee shows up. <laughs> made me laugh. As only a little referee can. Did you always want to be a referee? No, I started out as a player. Oh? Yeah. yeah. What are you looking at? No, what, just... What, that I'm vertically challenged? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in Paris, he went to the museum, and, and he went to the ballet. Forget Paris. He was courting. They'll do anything when they're courting. It's very clear. Rodin never really said what he was thinking about. I think he's thinking, how did this happen? Three drinks and I'm nude. Castle Rock Entertainment presents in Billy Crystal and Deborah Winger in a comedy about love after marriage. You know something? You're the only one I can talk to. Forget Paris. Our love is here. Wasn't it a soccer game a few years back where the referee got killed? Yes, yeah, I'm against that. Are you? Well, Forget Paris is very much a Billy Crystal joint. <laughs> he produced the film, he directed the film, he co-wrote the film with Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel, which is the same creative team behind his directorial debut, Mr. Saturday Night. And Crystal stars, along with Deborah Winger, Joe Montaigne, Cynthia Stevenson, Julie Kavner, Richard Mazur, John Spencer, who I miss and I loved on the West Wing, and I'm just genuinely sorry that he's no longer with us, Kathy Moriarty, and William Hickey, as well as a whole host of NBA players. Yeah. Uh, Forget Paris is to basketball players what singles was to grunge musicians. Uh, and it tells the story of Mickey and Ellen. Mickey is an NBA referee and Ellen is an airline employee. And I had, like I said, I'd never seen this movie before. And I thought it was, again, an odd bird. Mm. Uh, first off, I want to talk about the framing story. We have Andy, played by Joe Mantegna, who is getting ready to marry Liz, Cynthia Stevenson. At a restaurant in New York, they are going to meet Andy's friends. And he mentioned how Mickey and Ellen have the strangest how they met story that he knows and truthfully, he's not wrong, because it's weird. It's also weird to me that we have Joe Montaigne telling this story, and at very various times, he's a very active narrator, and I can still, all I can think of is him as Joey Zaza from the God from Godfather Part 3, and I'm like, why is Joey Zaza telling this story? I don't like seeing Joey Zaza in love. Can I also say, just really quick, like, that, like, I feel like if you took the frame stories, like, the little, the, the little, like, segues out of When Harry Met Sally, the movie still works. Yes. Like, I feel like you take the frame story out of this, it stops working, and that is a problem. That should tell you that your movie needs a better script, because, I don't know, I did not work for me, this frame story. I like some of the actors in the frame story. I thought they acquitted themselves very well. It's always nice to see Julie Kavner, you know, as a person. Absolutely. But, but yeah. It just, it, I was like, what? What is this here? Like, it's just like another little element. And I was like, I, I didn't need it. Yeah. And, and it was just, it would, it would, it would pop up at weird times yes. and in weird ways. <laughs> like, and I'm just like, wait, what, what is, what is happening? Um, it, it's, it's, and I, I do, I do wonder if, uh, if it's that Princess Bride influence. Mm. Oh, uh, it might you know, be. Which, which, which Billy Crystal was in. Yeah. With, and this is a yeah. Castle Rock movie, I believe. It is a Castle Rock uh, movie. So it's going through Rob Reiner's company. Yeah. And um, another issue with the wraparound uh, stories is that, uh, you know, it, it introduces a lot of characters who are commenting on the story but it doesn't really yeah. do anything like rashomon with it, where people <laughs> no. are remembering it different yeah. ways Rash rashomon this ain't <laughs> yeah but it's um it, it introduces a lot of characters 
who all are witty and talk in the exact same manner. Mm, absolutely. And frankly, which is in the exact same manner as Mickey and Ellen. Mm-hmm. Funny that. It's a major problem. Mm. Um, yeah. you know, even even if some of the, the jokes and gags in, in a moment might work, it's just it really makes everyone feel kind of the same no i agree 100 percent. yeah absolutely oh one really picky thing too really quick is like okay her name is ellen the restaurant is helen's and billy crystal's ex-wife in when harry met sally also helen so i spent like a large part of the first part of the movie being like wait is this character supposed to be named helen what's going on am i gonna find out at the end of the movie that this is their restaurant they own together and like then i was like oh i looked it up it's like oh it's ellen but like why do that i don't know that's just an aside but there you go no no i think it's completely legitimate i mean we both rob and i are writers i go out of my way to not have characters that even start with the same letter or sound remotely similar unless it's supposed to be you know it's when the unless it's twins or something something crazy it was was a very i did like the waiter i will say uh, the waiter (laughs) who was uh who was one of the he was like one of the airport police guys in in die hard too and i'm like oh i like that waiter he's all right um I also want to point out the music in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when Harry met Sally in Sleepless in Seattle, the music was done by Mark Shaman, who makes liberal use of standards yes. once again. And it very much feels like they are proceeding from the place of when Harry met Sally. They even have one song, Our Love is Here to Stay, shows up in both movies, which I noticed. And that, I think, is the one they start up at the top with the credits, I think, is even Our Love is Here to oh, Stay. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like they're putting their stamp down right away. Like, this is going to be like when Harry met Sally. Just wait. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's almost like someone said, get me another one, Harry (laughs) and Sally. Yep. See what I did there. And this movie's infused with the, that kind of boomer generation, baby boomer point of view of women are like this and men are like that. And, oh, it's, it's, it, it creates problems that men are like this and women are like that. And it, in Harry, in when Harry met Sally, because it feels very grounded, I, I, it, it, you know, I can roll with it right here. It, it feels like, uh, it, it, you know, we talked about this a little bit in, in when Harry met Sally, the conflict is mostly internal. This movie, uh, like French kiss as well. Uh, it's, it feels like it's very external, uh, stuff. Um, you know, Mickey and Ellen, when they first meet and get together, it's, it, there's like absolutely no problem. Right. They instantly hit it off until you get to, Oh, but there's this external problem. And then and then they go insanely off the rails. Off the rails doesn't quite cover it. It's it's uh, oh well, I'll go get into it. We'll get into it. We have to get there. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I want I want to talk about the meeting really quick cuz like this first this first part where they're meeting, like I didn't buy it. I did not buy um Ellen liking Mickey because it felt like okay this is gonna sound really funny but like if I felt like I was watching Seinfeld goes to Paris because it was all this observational humor totally. against Parisian backgrounds and then it became then my husband and I were starting to think about like what Seinfeld go to goes to Paris would have been like we made a really great Seinfeld episode that's neither here nor there <laughs> but like Seinfeld is actually funnier like like she keeps laughing hysterically she keeps laughing hysterically at these jokes that just must have even seemed dated in 1995 and I'm like really this woman who's a sophisticated woman lives in Paris works at this great job she's gonna fall for this like I just didn't buy it so like right from the get-go I'm not buying into this like great romance that I'm supposed to like hang tight with for the rest of this entire movie so that I mean that the movie 
I'm going to say some good things about the movie later on, but the movie started at a severe disadvantage for me, like right there. No, I, I think that's true. Just to, to uh, for our audience who might be curious, uh, the movie starts with, with Mickey and Ellen meet when Mickey is bringing the body of his father, who he hated, to be buried in the village in France with the other members of his World War II unit. And along the way, his father's body gets lost for a few days. And the airline you know, airline employee, Ellen, helps him find it. And and she attends the service so that Mickey won't have to bury his father alone. And I, I actually think that is a very sweet moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I do buy that, but I also don't buy that they're going to fall in love on the car ride back. Because that's basically what happens in, you know, another another car ride, just like in, you know, when Harry met Sally, where, you know, that that's when they start to get to know each other. So I, I buy that she'd go. I don't buy that she would be like, hey, spend a few days in Paris with me. Yeah, I mean, maybe even spend a few days as a friend, but like, I just, I don't see the sparks between them. I don't see it being like, a, like. No, I yeah. agree. Well, that let me. I'm going to jump ahead because I can't. I can't not because I think the fundamental problem of this movie is these two people don't belong together at <laughs> yeah. all. You built a romantic comedy about people who are incompatible. Yep. And I'm like, well, that's. I mean, it's an interesting thought experiment to see if you can do it, but like, it creates problems lots of them anyway I, I i'm getting ahead of myself here no no I, i'm you're you're totally right though you're completely right and even like like you can you can even see it in the tones of the film like they start out with this really romantic music this romantic montage of pictures mm-hmm. and then they go to a basketball game so even the tones of the movies don't yes. necessarily match with each other no they don't now the basketball scenes are really well shot like they clearly shot in real arenas with, and they have a whole they have real players it's so authentic that when billy crystal appears it kind of t- me out of the movie for a second because I'm like, what's Billy Crystal doing in the middle of this NBA game? Like it's like it felt like a real NBA game, and then it's like, oh, there's Billy Crystal. Uh, but it's it, it, it works, and some of the basketball scenes are genuinely funny. I love when he throws Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out of his farewell game. That is a genuinely funny moment. Um, but it's the thing is, in when Harry met Sally, we don't see any of their jobs. Here, we see their jobs because you need to have that obstacle because at the end of the day, they are fundamentally incompatible for the long term. Yeah. And, you know, like at the end of the week, Mickey goes back to the U.S. for, for, you know, for the NBA season and she's got her life in Paris. And honestly, that should be the end of the story. (laughs) You're done. That's it. Yeah. Or you could have a movie where they keep trying to make it work and it doesn't work out. I mean, I could see that, too. But yeah. 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 Which which I I contest that that is this movie (laughs) because I contest they will not stay together in the long term. Uh, But but again, now I'm really getting ahead of ourselves. The, The two stay in touch. Uh, but he grows and Mickey grows increasingly lonely and restless, despite the fact that he's apparently sleeping with NBA cheerleaders during the season. That was a weird moment. I mean, I will say Billy Crystal's quite bold to like put himself in a movie where he's being shown against all these basketball players constantly. And then he's shirtless at one point. And I've never seen Billy Crystal look. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry for I'm sh- sorry for short, s- skinny men out there. Like, I'm sure if I got to know a lot of you, you would be very attractive to me. But just like like as a, as a person I don't know that I'm not in love with. 
with it's it's not a it's not the guy that you're immediately like oh look at that Lothario like I'm so into him and are refs really like a hot commodity for cheerleaders I just don't know anyway I don't anyway know. I, I I've never been on the tour with the NBA. And anyway, we have this weird moment where he has like a meltdown uh, of not seeing Ellen, which leads her to throw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out of his farewell game. I thought that was genuinely funny in, you know, sort of in a bubble, uh, like not necessarily in the larger context of the movie, but just that's a funny moment that you put in the trailer. And sure enough, they did. Um, and during his suspension, Mickey gets suspended. And so he goes back to Paris to see Ellen. And there he learns that she is, in fact, married, mm-hmm. although separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it perfectly represents this relationship between two people. Neither one really knows anything about one another. And eventually Mellon flies back to, from Paris to surprise Mickey at his hotel room and commit to the relationship. And it's one of those grand gestures that usually happens in the third act of yeah, romantic comedy. Yeah. But here it's at the end of the first act. And after talking about like their likes and dislikes for a few minutes, Mickey mentions, oh, they've covered the big stuff. <laughs> Oh, not really. Yeah. Okay. So for me, this moment where she moves away from her great job in Paris is like about as Insane. it's about as unbelievable to me as the giving away the forty five thousand dollars to a near stranger. Like the, it's all, same level, same level for me. And it, and at least Meg Ryan and Kevin Klein though had pretty good chemistry, and I was like, okay. Well, they had they had been together for a time, and it felt like I I, I like oh yeah, yeah here it's like what are you doing, Lainey? Find somebody in Paris. I feel like I feel like this movie's trying to do a thing that some romantic comedies do, or some movies that play with romance do, where it's trying to like give you the romance as a given, show you a montage, show you. a couple yeah. of scenes refer to another movie like they do to an American in Paris at one point and that's supposed to be enough yep. and and I do I will give Crystal credit for the interesting task of trying to see what happens after that initial romantic flush because not a lot of movies do that I don't think it does it very successfully but I will give him credit for trying to like you know mine that territory but yeah anyway no and I think that's an interesting aspect to mine but it would it, that that movie works if it's if it's foundational element is two people People who are mm-hmm. right for one yeah. another. It doesn't work if it's two people who should be completely separated from one another. <laughs> I think these people don't belong. And so, together. for you, I, is it is it mostly the jobs? Because for me, it's mostly that their jobs and their careers just don't work together. Like that's the main sticking point for it's me. The, it's there. It's just the people. Like it's just the, these two people don't really belong together, and they're not going to last in the long run. It's like I I believe honestly, I believe that 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 Kate and Luke have more of a chance on his vineyard than these two do in a house in the San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. But just to, to backtrack a little bit on just the relationship overall, um, and, and to, you know, to try and say some things like I that scene with the joke, right, about the we've talked about the big stuff. Because yeah. uh, and that's the that's the punchline after Ellen talk, you know, says, do we want to talk about if we want kids or, you know, you know, this important thing, that important thing. And he, you know, no, they've talked about whether the window is going to be open. Uh, and while it is played as a joke, you know, one can see that it is setting up the fact that they are kind of doomed for a lot of uh, bumps along the way. And what's interesting is, at least in the why they aren't right for each other angle, is that unlike uh, a lot of other romantic comedies, uh, it, in many ways they're not right for each other because, or they're going to have problems because they are too similar. Hmm. Yeah. That could be, you know, their, their career and their work is really important to both of them. Yeah. 
And that is, you know, in some ways they, what, how they could connect, uh, not, you know, I'm not saying that they do or whatever, but just, you know, it, it's a character trait that's the same. And yet it's, they can never, um, they can't sync up their careers. Yeah. And that's constantly ripping them apart. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, in some ways that's viable. I don't know that the execution is always there for me, but I can see like the, what the plan might've been. Um, and, and as we always say, this stuff's hard. You're yeah. always trying to catch lightning in a bottle and, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, things work better than others. And frankly, you may not even know why. Um, I do need to mention the horrible fact that as they as they meet in the hotel room, he had been on the phone with Joe Montaigne. <laughs> so he doesn't hang up. So as they start to have sex in the hotel room, Joey Zaza's <laughs> listening on the phone. I don't want Joey Zaza listening to me when I'm intimate. That's horrible. It's a horrible thing. This, this aspect of the film is definitely causing you some trauma. I can see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, can't, I just. Oh, Joey See, Zaza. I kept thinking oh, of God. Cynthia. What's her? Cynthia Stevenson? Is that her last name? Yeah. I yes. kept thinking of her from the movie Happiness, directed by Todd Solon. So that was also oh, yeah. that was a very different oh, thing to have in there, oh, too. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Mickey and Ellen move in together in his Marina Del Rey apartment. And again, this is where we get the fundamental truth of this movie. These two people are not compatible. And ultimately, I think Forget Paris is like the anti when Harry met Sally. Like that movie is about two friends who eventually realize they were in love with mm. one another. This is about two people who barely know each other and mistake romantic attraction for genuine compatibility. Ding, ding, ding. Like yep. I think Crystal, I think Crystal was trying to make the inverse of when Harry met Sally, but perhaps he didn't realize what that means. It means we have to watch these people be miserable for a, an act and a half. Yeah, I feel like the biggest problem Harry and Sally would have had was like figuring out like what to do about all the penguins that are in Sally's room. If you watch when Harry hits Sally, like enough times, <laughs> you'll start to notice that she has a weird thing about stuffed penguins. So you just oh, there's a lot of penguins in when Harry hits <laughs> Sally. But yeah, but, oh, but there's other definitely than, a lot. But of other penguins. than that, they were like I think very compatible people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why you 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 need you ache for them to get together at the end of the movie. You you need you need her to you need him to make it to the New Year's Eve party. You need them to be together. It's it's why that movie is just brilliant. And this is the opposite. I'm like these these people are going to get they're going to get a divorce. They're going to get a divorce. Yeah. Let's be honest. Even if they're back together in the restaurant at the end, spoiler, they're going to get a divorce like, you know, 3 months later. And and when Harry met Sally, the differences are that are there even when they're you know squabbling with each other. Yeah, they're they're real. Mm. Um, the way that movie treats the difference between men and women, it's it's over things like can men and women be friends or will sex always get in the way and do men and women want fundamentally different things and do they express that in different ways. This movie, it feels like the differences are there, but it's of the wagon wheel and the way you order dinner variety. Mm-hmm. And and then it, it just and then you throw that in with uh like you know, like his Marina Del Rey apartment, the reveal of it. Yeah. That's just the wagon, yeah, you know, the wagon table on steroids. Totally. And then and then you just it, it's it's harder to relate because I I'm constantly feeling like these characters should be able to see past these differences. Now, I fully understand 
in real life, real people <laughs> often, often don't see past those differences. It's, so it's it's this weird trap for me where in many ways, I think this you could say that this story is very realistic, <laughs> you know, the way people yeah. glom onto each other and do the wrong things. But then it, it's different. That is a different question from how is it playing as a, you know, yeah, a, a romantic yeah. comedy that you're watching. Exactly. And, and how does that interact with an audience? And is that enjoyable or how does it work against itself? I mean, not th- there's a movie to be made in, in about two people who are incompatible, you know, struggling to make it work, despite the fact that they fundamentally shouldn't be together. I mean, it sounds like something John Cassavetes would do and would be brilliant, but that is very different from setting it up as a romantic comedy in the when harry met sally mold which this is clearly trying to emulate like it clearly wants to as much as any movie we've talked about here this wants to be when harry met sally there was one scene that i did think had like kind of a striking realism in terms of relationships and there's the scene where they're talking about like kind of their lack of sex and they're both kind of and it's such a touchy issue but a lot of a lot of couples deal with it and like they're both perceiving like that that they've been trying and the other person hasn't been trying and it's like it really it does speak to a certain reality like like it's such a touchy issue for people don't want to be rejected but then people have different times of day and I, i did like that did ring true to me as someone who's been in like you know a marriage and also other long-term relationships that kind of negotiation over these sensitive issues so i do think there were a couple places in the movie like that being one where they did have like some true to life um like relationship talk that didn't that didn't like kind of revolve around the sexes are so different and they are these stereotypes because yeah occasionally it hit some note of truth i think yeah and but you know who among us has not had an extended sequence where they're driving and a pigeon is glued to their face Oh my God, no. That, <laughs> that whole thing is just, uh, I mean, first of all, like it's just, it's, it's, it's madness and it's clearly trying to, oh, hey, let's make an iconic scene like the when Harry met Sally diner scene. Yeah, like let's make something no. crazy happen. First of all, Deborah Winger's not that kind of actress. I think Deborah Winger's a terrific actress, but that's not what she does really well. Like it's just yeah. bonkers. And and wait, 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 wait! Before we leave the pigeon scene, though, before we leave the pigeon scene, oh, freaking Seinfeld's mom, like the woman who played Seinfeld's mom on Seinfeld, shows up in that scene as well in one of the other cars. I just had yes. To that oh, totally. No, that's because uh, also this. I mean, there's a lot of vehicular mayhem in this movie, much more than you'd think for the type of movie that it is. Uh, Mickey comes home and they have this conversation about how <sighs> she's gaining weight and the tone of it. I'll tell you, I watched this movie with my wife, um, but I've watched most of the movies for this series with my wife. I watch a lot of the movies for the show, but in particular, we've watched all the ones for this series and she was livid at this. She's like, all right, there's no men involved. There's mm-hmm. no women involved mm-hmm. in the writing of this movie. And it's very clear because there's no way she'd she'd take this conversation and not be freaking livid beyond imagination. It was just like it it's like there's no this is this is a perfect example of you sometimes you need women to write women, or at least men who aren't jerks. 
And that was those are my wife's words, not mine. You also you also needed Billy Crystal just to have an editor in general. I'm sorry. Like I could tell so much of this Billy Crystal's thing is so much in here. And sometimes Billy Crystal's thing is great. Like some of the parts of when Harry met Sally, he contributed are great. Yes. I'm pretty sure he's I, I think I read that he's the one who actually made the end speech at the New Year's party. Oh really? Remember when Harry met Sally? And that is fucking perfection. But like in other places, like I, 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 the sports angle, I, I think it kind of worked as its own thing, but why not just make another different sports movie then? Like it seemed almost gratuitous like he just yes. wanted to hang out with basketball players um, they move from his Marina Del Rey bachelor pad to a house in the San Fernando Valley which frankly the movie makes it sound like the 10th circle of hell now, <laughs> I live in the San Fernando Valley and I would love to be able to afford the house that they buy that he hates I'm like I would I would I would do terrible things for that house. I would do terrible things to be able to afford that house in the Valley. I just like, Oh, they make it sound like it's the worst thing ever. I'm like, it's fine. And you know, Ellen takes a job as an airline at an airline, uh, in, in the Burbank airport an entry level job, which admittedly sucks because apparently her resume stayed in Paris. But I want to point out, and I think this is important that she is so much better off at the Burbank airport than LAX. It's, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. It's like it's it's like a little slice of heaven compared to LAX. My goodness, it, you, 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 you should I should be so lucky to work at the Burbank Airport. Um, and eventually, Mickey leaves his job as a ref and starts working as a car salesman. Uh, and at one point, he actually nearly causes a customer that he's with to get into an accident because he thinks his wife is cheating on him. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, the customer, by the way, played by Dan Castellanella, who we have both Marge <laughs> and Homer Simpson in this movie. So I guess there's that. I, I expected Hank Azarin to show up maybe as his detective character from Pretty Woman, just to have it all be in a shared universe. I so, so yeah, when you're talking about like, so she takes this bad job. So that's like the first compromise in the movie is her coming back from Paris and taking this crappy job she doesn't like. And and then we move into like Billy right. Crystal, like as character Mickey taking this bad job that he doesn't like. So we're basically, yeah, that that is really what you said, the fundamental incompatibility of these two people. It's like they can't both be happy at the same time, which is it's kind of tragic. Right. And I think the movie's even got a line about like how one person can't be happy while the other person is miserable. A relationship is only when both people are miserable. I'm like, well, that's dark. That is, it's, it's really, it's not said by one of the more, the characters we're supposed to necessarily agree with, but yeah, it is very bleak. Yeah, it is very that bleak is true. to say. Uh, and then Ellen's father moves in him, uh, went with them, played by the brilliant William Hickey, who is 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 great. But Mickey goes back to refereeing not long after that. Um, and so, you know, just when things seem really bleak for these two, they decide to do the thing that always makes relationships better. They decide to have a baby. <laughs> and uh, and that honestly, that leads to some um, third act masturbation drama that I genuinely did not expect. Like there's a lot of time in the fertility clinic and his rushing back to it. It's all, I don't know. It's all very weird. And I don't want to think about Billy Crystal masturbating. Okay. And here's another level of weirdness. So I did like look up a couple articles on these films to prepare. And there was an article about the time that Forget Paris is being released. And he's talking about how like in the in the movie, he wants to masturbate to like Sophia Loren. And then it's like talking about he's talking, telling the interviewer that in real life, he always wanted to masturbate to Sophia Loren. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, now okay. we know something about well, Billy Crystal yeah. that we didn't know before. But it's like... 
Oh I'm man, sorry. I don't even know what to say to that. I don't. I don't have. I didn't have. That's amazing, and I had. God, I mean, this is this is why I don't do research. Um, <laughs> sometimes you don't want to know. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh, the 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 but that masturbation stuff. Uh, with what I find interesting in this movie is that you know it's '95, and. It is an impulse in American comedy that is, you're right there, right? We are only yeah. a couple years from There's mm-hmm. Something About Mary. But this is That's kind true. of the old guard feeling the taste change. You know, and, you know, uh, Babalu, uh, Babalu Mandel. Mandel, you know, he'd written a lot of great mm-hmm. 80s comedies, yeah. Splash, Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, and, and many others. Uh, and so it, this is kind of the old guard, you know, kind of trying to go in that direction. Uh, and it, you know, but maybe it's not what their forte is or not where uncomfortable for everyone involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it, it is interesting to me because like, this is where things, you know, with hindsight now, this is where comedy is going to be going is in stuff yeah. like that. It just, in this movie, maybe it doesn't, uh, you know, it yeah. doesn't always mesh with, with this style. Yeah, you're bringing this up and I'm thinking now, like, yeah, it's like the, another tone that's being added to this movie that already has so many different tones, so many different, like, environments, like framing devices, all kinds of things happening. And I'm just like, there's just too much happening in this movie, I feel like. Too many different areas it's trying to go. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and there's... You know, so we eventually what happens is Ellen tells Mickey that she's been offered a transfer to Dallas and he isn't interested in moving, despite the fact that he's yeah. traveling eight months of the year. I had to look up. I, I wanted to look up to make sure how long the NBA season he'd be on the road eight months a year. So what? Why the hell do you want to care where you live, whether you're in Dallas or, or, or the San Fernando Valley? Uh, and he isn't interested in moving. And as a consequence, Ellen takes a transfer to Paris instead. And the two effectively separate. By the way, we, we keep having our Mickey's friends at the restaurant keep you know coming in like uh we should we should mention that that keeps coming back from time to time we end up with uh you know with joey zaza and and uh and and the group at the restaurant and there's some low stakes drama there with (laughs) is is you know is the is does cynthia stevenson's character is she gonna want to get married after hearing all this or not and i don't know i don't know you want to marry joey zaza (laughs) anyway he's a bad dude you know um yeah and and uh um, Mickey's friends in the restaurant learn of something that happened at the Knicks game that Mickey is refereeing that night. Mickey realizes just as the game is starting that he needs to be with Ellen and that he has to leave the game immediately. I mean, if you're going to throw away your career, pal, why didn't you do that before now? But he, he is on his way out when he sees Ellen who just flew in from Paris and they reconcile they, they, There's a kiss in the middle of the, the court and it's, uh, it's all the grand gesture, and uh, they arrive at the restaurant and start telling the story of their relationship. And the question is, why is it going to work this time? It's not. Tell the truth. They're going to make it? No way. This is a movie about two people are going to be divorced in six months. Or they're just going to be unhappy and keep going back and forth. Yeah, I don't see a way for this to work. I just don't see a way that for it too. to work. Yeah. I don't know. They just did. They didn't sell the couple in the first part, which is what you need to do. Yeah. Absolutely. They didn't sell that foundational 
connection. I'm just like, yeah, these people, either they're going to be miserable together or maybe they have a chance of being happy apart. That's it. That's that movie. I, I noticed, by the way, I want to mention, I noticed in the credits, uh, choreography by Debbie Allen. Oh, cool. What choreography did this movie have that they needed to bring in Debbie Allen? Maybe originally they had scenes with the dancers, like the NBA dancers yeah. that they cut out, that but they still it. had to credit her, like, basically. I think that's probably, That could be yeah. it, because she's, she's amazing, and I'm like, this this movie did not seem to warrant that. At, at It's like, you know, it's like if they brought in ILM to do the special effects, <laughs> I don't know why you need that for this particular movie, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's a curious bird. Both of the movies this week are kind of curious birds, which I didn't quite realize when I paired them. I just thought, oh, hey, they're both set in Paris, at least partially, and they both feature stars of When Harry Met Sally, but they're really kind of sort of odd ducks right at the at sort of the middle portion of this era of romantic You, you want to hear something wild? Roger Ebert liked Forget Paris and didn't much like French Kiss. So <laughs> that's oh. weird. That is, you know, I I love Rob Gerber, but sometimes his opinions are uh, are crazy. Which is, but he's always fascinating yeah. in how he like he's a great read. Like he's his reviews, even yeah. if you disagree with them, are so incredibly well written. Yeah, no, that's why I I always I almost always go back and see what he had to say about a movie, just because I and I, I even in the True Romance episode of our podcast, I actually quote him because he had such a hilarious uh, quote about True Romance. <laughs> But yeah, like, did he like True? Oh, I'm not going to. I'm not spoiling it. I'm not spoiling it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Uh, it has been truly great having you um, and and helping us with these sort of off the wall romantic comedy because both of these are very kind of off kilter yeah no it was it was super fun it was super fun being on and you've also saved me the trouble of covering these movies on my podcast probably <laughs> we are here to provide public service when it ever possible uh can you tell us where the every rom-com podcast can be found out in the world yeah sure so we have a website everyromcom.com. occasionally i'll even make a blog blog entry there occasionally we also have a facebook page every rom-com podcast and blog our instagram at every rom-com and our Twitter is at every rom-com pod. I'm pretty active on all those places. I love to, to chat movies with people on Twitter. So yeah, come and say hi to us. Excellent. Excellent. And we, we hope everyone out there enjoyed the show. Um, and please come back next week when we'll be discussing two more films where the main character is actively pursuing the wrong person. Although those films unfold in very different ways, as we'll see. So join us next week as we explore While You're Sleeping with Sandra Bullock and My Best Friend's Wedding with Julia Roberts. Again, we thank you so much for listening. We are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorges. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter and Instagram at GetMeAnotherPod. And if you've enjoyed the show, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell that guy smuggling fruit and diamonds sitting next to you on the plane. And join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, get me another.